It's a new year and it's a new season of Man in the Mirror. It's Hayden Williams here. You're very welcome along. And if you haven't listened before, Man in the Mirror is a podcast where each week I talk to a male guest and we discuss their life, work, self-image, self-care, some of the products they like to use morning and evening and what they think about the man that looks back at them in the mirror. Now, I know I said if you're a regular listener at the end of season five, I did say I'd be back in January, so I'm really sorry. Sorry I'm late. Kind of life, I mean, I won't even bore you, but life got in the way and um, scheduling the guests and trying to fit it in around other things. But anyway, enough of that. We're back. It's February and I'm really delighted to let you know about the first guest in the season, who is Stephen Gontarski. Now, if you're A fragrance fan, or you spend any time on Instagram and looking at anything to do with fragrance, you may well have come across the Lucky Scent Instagram channel. And perhaps if you live in America, you'll be well aware of the Scent Bar and Lucky Scent. So Scent Bar are the the physical stores in Hollywood, downtown LA and New York. And Lucky Scent is the, the sort of web presence, the digital presence. I first came across Lucky Scent, I think, probably a few years ago. And, um... Such a brilliant Instagram channel. And I think what's so great about it is just with people like Stephen, who who kind of manages the, the stores and manages the, the Lucky Scent um, online profile, just the best communicators. And they communicate their joy of fragrance. Scent Bar, the physical stores, and, and Lucky Scent, the, the online presence, tend to focus on niche and independent fragrance, which, as we discuss in our, in our chat isn't the easiest thing to find in, in the States. So I was really keen to find out more about the, the retail landscape in the US from Stephen, but also to find out more about him. I say, I, I can't think of many people who are better at um, communicating about fragrance and talking about notes and raw materials and, and just kind of putting across this amazing world and, and um, does it with a, yeah, a, a kind of calmness and an, and a kind of really easygoing nature and yeah they involve the there's lots of live uh lives on instagram they kind of ask questions of the audience it's really great so look without further ado i'm going to introduce you to stephen gontarski so uh, we had a chat a week or so ago and also what i'm going to do this season i'm sort of vowing to do more visual stuff and to be honest i kind of love the the audio side of podcasting and and you know having a chat like this but i'm being dragged kicking and screaming into the, into the 2024 and i know i need to do more visual stuff so this season where i can you'll find more of the episodes um and i'm going to do more of them virtually so that we can capture the visuals and um put them as they as they are on on youtube so where whereas before on youtube my Man in the Mirror pod channel, you know, there'd be an image, but you could just listen to the episode on YouTube. Now there will be kind of like a, it's kind of like a Zoom thing, but it's called Riverside and you can see us chatting, but it also allows me to do more with the, the socials because we can cut together nice little pieces. So there'll be more of that this season. So if you'd like to view your podcasts, which may seem like a kind of, a kind of anomaly, but um, yeah, you can you can view the whole episodes on on YouTube at Man in the Mirror Pod. So, yeah, Stephen was in LA, I was in London town, and um, here we go. It's me, Hayden Williams, chatting to the manager of the Scent Bar Stores and the Lucky Scent web 
stall in the States. Uh, it's Stephen Gontarski, who has an amazingly interesting background as, a, as an artist and a musician and a sculptor, which you'll hear more about. So here we go. It's Stephen Gontarski on Man in the Mirror. Let's go. Welcome along to Man in the Mirror. It's Hayden Williams here, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Stephen Gontarski, who is the manager of the two LA scent bar stores. And um, as I mentioned in my introduction, he also has has another life as a an artist, a visual artist and a, a sculptor, which I'm sure we'll touch upon. But first of all, good morning, Stephen. How are you? Hi, Hayden. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, very exciting. Well, f- likewise, a real thrill for me because I've enjoyed the content that you do on Lucky Scent Fog. You know, I'm still quite new in my sort of inverted commas fragrance journey, as it were, so over the last few years. But the the content that gets put out by Lucky Scent and obviously in a physical bricks and mortar sense in, in stores, I just think is such a brilliant way of bringing fragrance to life, but making it really, really accessible and really fun and done with that, I don't know, with a kind of the real genuineness, but with a kind of coolness and a slickness that we can only dream of here in the UK, but it's just done with a slight kind <laughs> of Hollywood sparkle with all your you and your amazing <laughs> colleagues. And I love it. And I love just hearing, you know, the, when you go off on certain themes or you take certain fragrance notes. And um, I don't know why, to be honest, I, I should have had you on so much earlier, but I, I thought maybe it would never be possible. So I was absolutely delighted that you've come on and it feels like I'm kind of getting to chat to a real fragrance superstar. I know, I feel um, so flattered by that. That's amazing because um, as we were just talking before we started recording about you do things and you feel it's kind of like a vacuum because you don't get tons of feedback, especially, you know, at the moment you're doing it. So we don't, I mean, we don't really know how it comes across and I'm so happy to hear that um, you enjoy it, that other people like listening to us. I, I love them. And I, I think it's almost, I don't know, it's a different conversation, but I think it's almost cultural. You know, like sometimes my wife and I would watch, you know, if you watch some American reality TV shows, it just seems like anyone that, that takes part in those shows has a sort of, it seems to us anyway, but much more of a sort of confidence about them and, and a way of articulating themselves and, and how comfortable they are on screen. And that, I'm not suggesting for a second that, <laughs> that um, the stuff you do on Lucky Scent is like a reality show, but it, it, it's that kind of, yeah, there's a really, really easy, comfortable way of putting that stuff across, which um, I've no doubt has fans all over the place. And, and that I guess that's the, again, we'll, we'll get into all of this, but that's yeah. the joy of social media now, isn't it? That yeah. you can kind of, you, the tentacles spread far and wide. And yeah. um, the thing that we love, you can end up kind of talking to people all over the world. Yeah, that makes me so excited to hear because I think when we're making these videos or doing live streams, it's it's so straightforward. We're just talking about things that we're excited about and we try to talk about why they're exciting yeah. to us. And it's a very, very simple formula and we just try to stick to that. So um, I'm, I'm glad it, it connects to some people. Oh, definitely. But I think, you know, that enthusiasm and passion goes a long way. And I think, you know, that's the, that's the, the heart of it. And, f- you know, for me in my tiny little way with with either with the writing or certainly with the podcast i think it's just about i'm trying to kind of communicate the joy that i've get from things whether it's you know skincare grooming but certainly with with fragrance and i just want more men particularly 
to um to get to to experience some of that and and the way I'm trying to do that is just talk to people that I admire or you know some brand founders or perfumers or journalists whatever it might be but I think um you know the more we're having these kind of conversations about normalizing things that should bring great joy and and you know these sort of sensory experiences it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be complicated doesn't have to be impenetrable doesn't have to be a difficult thing to get to understand and you know when I see you and is it Dana Dana yeah yeah love her um (laughs) you know yeah just that that sort of straightforward communicating of of something that gives great pleasure so um I love it but look we'll we'll get more into your your role and 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 maybe how fragrance retail or how things are a little bit different because I have to say I don't you know I don't know too much about how how it works in the states I'm lucky enough mm. to to deal with some of the distributors here and talk to PRs of course and and brands so I have a, a you know a little bit of a handle on the UK market and I suppose we we're, we're close enough to to um you know France and Italy and places like that so but but it's really interested to hear how how niche and and kind of independent brands work in, in the states and, and how you work with that but i guess first of all i think i also you know as you would expect i did a bit of digging online and and i found stephen gontowski and there was lots of information about art and sculpture and i wrongly assumed well that must be just a different person but <laughs> i think some people might be surprised to to hear about that and also the fact that um you studied in you studied here at Goldsmiths in in London. So th- there's this whole other side to you, which I'm I'm not surprised <laughs> in the slightest. Now I've read about it, but te- if you could tell me a bit about your that side of your your the life and the, and the sculpture and the journey. God, I yeah. hate the, the journey phrase, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I knew that there would be other strings to your bow, and 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 there it is. And and in fact, even in um, in London in Central St. Giles's Piazza, there's a, one of your amazing sculptures. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear <laughs> yeah, more I mean, about your, your art. There, there have been a bunch of chapters and, you know, I'm 51 now, so there have been different parts of my life concentrated on different things. So, um, yeah, art has always been a thing for me, obviously. I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Philadelphia, in a little suburb, and it's just the most American Hollywood version of a yeah. suburb. And Take I went to <laughs> yeah, I went to that high school with cheerleaders and football players in the hallways. You know that. And that, who who were you at that high school? What kind of character? I was, I was the main kind character, of, energy or sidelines or I was the jock art, or what? I, <laughs> I was the artsy bookish kid. Of course you were. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I hung out with the other artsy bookish kids. And <laughs> Would you do um, the school production? Would you do? Would you have a little sing and dance or not? <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I have. Did you? Yes. Yeah, me too. I tried it out. You got to, you know? Yeah. What were the shows? What would you, what would you have done? <laughs> what was I in? Um, I was in a musical called Brigadoon. No, no, no. Oh, I wasn't in Brigadier. What am I even talking That's about? That's Scottish, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The Scottish one. I wasn't even in that. I think maybe I wanted to be in it. Yeah. No, I was in a musical called Carousel. Oh, yeah. Which actually, interestingly enough, one of the composers of Carousel, I think, is Oscar Hammerstein. Yeah. And is. he is from, grew up, lived and worked in my hometown of Doylestown, really? Pennsylvania. So, you know, it's our little claim to fame. Yeah. 
it's funny as a complete detour, but my friends at school, my friends were the kind of sporty guys. I was okay. I wasn't, you know, certainly would have been picked for the football soccer team or or anything like that. But I, I was a drama and I loved, I actually, you know, really got into acting and ended up doing a drama degree. But I was the only one that did that kind of stuff. But I loved it. But I somehow, my mates were not, you know, not the kind of artsy guys at all. But I right. realized my crowd is the kind of, yeah, the kind of people who are more into art and theater and music and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, band oh, guys and all that. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, I felt very stifled in that kind of environment. And I was fortunate enough to have an experience, the state of Pennsylvania, I don't know if they still do this, but they had this really great setup called Governor's School, where the state of Pennsylvania funded basically an arts camp for high school students. And right. so I applied as, uh, as a musician and um, luckily got into the program. And it's the first time away from home where you spend the whole summer with other artsy kids doing music and writing and visual art. And it was the most breathtaking, liberating experience because I realized that there was a world outside of Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And having to go back and finish school was terrible and incredibly depressing. But, you know, I just had to get through it. But I knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, exactly. And you'd you'd seen a different, you'd seen the possible, hadn't you? You'd seen, you'd yeah. seen what you could do. So did you then, in terms of the visual art and the, and the sculpture, was that a university? Was so, that interest yeah. always there? So I went to university at um, Brown and... Uh, my concentration there was called architectural studies, which was sort of a hybrid of architectural history and theory. And Brown is next to Rhode Island School of Design. So I was actually able to take some architectural design courses at the same time. So I guess there was a moment where I thought I'd probably go into architecture. And yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm mentioning this because I wrote a senior thesis, which my thesis advisor hated because I don't think it was very academically rigorous, but it was <laughs> exciting for me. And I was interested in synesthesia. Right. So the point of the thesis was to compare musical structures to architectural structures and finding these parallels as kind of journeying through different spaces with delineations and boundaries over a course of time. So I thought that was fascinating. I still find that fascinating, but it's a little bit woo-woo, but I find a lot of, get a lot of inspiration from that. So when I finished at Brown, I moved to New York and I got a job in an art gallery. And that I think was a very important stage for me. I lived in New York Mm -hmm. for a couple of years doing this job and It was a very interesting gallery. It was called Exit Art, and it was in Soho. I started the job in 1994, so this was kind of the very end of a very interesting chapter in New York where Soho was the center of art. And the 80s art scene in New York was very exciting. So much happened. Uh Um, So many characters coming out of it. So by the time I moved there and worked at this gallery, it was the very end of it, all the galleries were moving to West Chelsea. And um, this particular gallery was a nonprofit space. And it was run by a remarkable woman named Jeanette Ingberman. She grew up in Brooklyn. She went to Columbia, studied art history. And she's an old school lefty who was interested in alternative art, conceptual art, 
up-and-coming artists. That was her thing. So it was very decisively a nonprofit space. And it was a very difficult job because there's no money in nonprofit uh, institutions. And we were expected just to work nonstop. But it was such a rewarding experience because I was there in the middle of all of it meeting all of the up-and-coming artists of New York and preparing shows for them. And it's actually being in that environment that made me realize I could have a stab at this. I'm, I could do art, you know? Um, yeah. I'd been making things all along, n- not very seriously, but I decided to just pursue that. And that brought me to London. I did this MFA at Goldsmiths. And it's that kind of thing where things just aligned correctly. So I was able to stay there and make art. And I was so there. So that mid-90s as well, Stephen? Yeah. Um, so I was in London from 96 to 2006. That was my um, chunk of time there. And, and, I, and you know, for, pe- for people who know the city, I guess that kind of late 90s time was... That was a fun time in London. It was great. Like Cool <laughs> Britannia, great. D- you know, Damien Hirst, uh, all of that. And I know you were involved with places like the ICA and White Cube. And, and yeah, that's it. was that very exciting. Have, yeah. I mean, I just, that was the beginning of my working in music. And yeah, there was a really exciting time in terms of British music, oh. the renaissance of that, and Britpop and yeah. all of that, you know, Radiohead and Blur and Oasis and everything else, and Kate Moss and the Gallaghers. And so it must yeah. have been a fun time to be involved in in art in London. Oh, absolutely. It's what I had hoped when I moved to London to go to Goldsmiths. I had never been to London or the UK. So when I went over there with my suitcases, it was the first time, but I felt that I knew what it would be like because I'm such an Anglophile. And I'm very much into music. So certain bands meant everything to me. And so I just figured, well, if they're producing this music, this is the right place for me. And what were you into at the time? What, what, what was the music of, of the UK oh, that you liked? Do you know what's so funny is nothing's changed. I still listen to the same things that I did 35 years ago, like literally yeah. on a daily basis. So the first time I ever bought a Cocteau Twins record, it just changed my life. And yeah. last night I sat around listening to Cocteau Twins. It, nothing's changed in that Such regard. a great band. And Simon Raymond went on to do such brilliant things with Bella Union and, Absolutely. you know, just those kind of bands and acts that just have exquisite taste, don't they? And then sort of that oh. permeates through everything I loved. Well, actually, All of then, it. You know, then he started signing things like Midlake and John Grant and, yeah, uh, yeah stuff I really like anyway. Oh, and it's, it's so exciting and how Robin Guthrie went more into... Um, ambient music yeah. and um, yeah. Brian Eno is one of my heroes and um, nice. I had worked with Harold Budd, another one of my heroes. At one point, actually, before I had my first solo exhibition at White Cube, the exhibition before me was a Brian Eno installation. And wow. so just things like that just made me realize, oh, this is so right. It's These are my heroes and I'm kind of working among that. And it was you become very part exciting. of the culture. Yeah. It was really wonderful to do that, to be an artist, to have that career until it wasn't anymore. And it kind of came to a natural, I don't know if it was a natural end, but I kind of started winding things up and started uh, pursuing different things and did you, starting a different chapter. Did you fall out of love with, with art? Do you, you know, do you think it was, I know it's difficult, do you think it was a sort of economic reason or did you start to, or did other things take on an increasing importance. You know, it's, it's always, in, I do find it interesting. And I, actually, I've had you know, musicians on before who've talked about 
you know, changes in career and things like that. I just wonder, you know, was it something in you that that sort of started to withdraw or was it a more yeah. sort of positive that other other things started to kind of happen you know in what? your life, which I guess a bit of everything maybe. It was all of that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so different things. I felt that the relationship I had with the gallery started not working anymore and it wasn't really doing me favors and so I tried to think of solutions to it. I had done exhibitions in LA at that point. Um, LA was very foreign to me because I grew up in the Northeast. Um, but whenever I would go to LA, it seemed very freeing and wonderful, like a permanent vacation. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, I'll try that. In addition, my mother had moved from Pennsylvania to Arizona to retire. And you know, I'd been in the UK for 10 years at that point, and she was getting at this age where I started worrying that um, she would probably need some kind of assistance, some sort of just family presence. Um, so that was another big factor in, in my moving to the West Coast. Did she just want some better weather? Why did she choose? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Is uh, that a common, I don't, is that a place to go and retire? Or go it's one it of the easy? places. It seems yeah. like a lot of people go to Florida, Florida. or Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they just have sun and it's a more laid back lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Also, one thing you mentioned was also financial factors, things like that. That also yeah. came into effect for sure. The art world had changed as well in the 10 years that I was an artist and I didn't love it. I think a lot of the reasons why people become artists is because of the the storytelling and the communication that they have with other people, that was very important to me. But it was very much, in my experience, like being in a vacuum. You would make something. You wouldn't get feedback. You don't know where your pieces go. You don't know how the people who are consuming it are consuming it. There's, you there's genuinely don't get that. to hear where things are sold, I suppose. You don't always get to know who, who bought them and where they go, I suppose. They might be casually mentioned. And I've I've met some of the collectors and and that, that was great. But then a lot of it, for me, seemed to be going into this direction of international art fairs, uh, auctions, investing. And that, for me, took the soul out of it. And it's not really something I wanted to be in anymore. And mm. I mean, I like the storytelling. I think we'll get into that in a second about perfume, which I think allows me to do that so much more in a very direct way. Yeah. But then there was also the financial things. It was coming to a point when I moved to LA and tried to just plop everything in a different city. I thought it would be that easy to just um, start a career in LA. And yeah. I found out it wasn't. <laughs> it's a totally different set of circumstances. I guess it can be quite, I mean, you know, only from visiting, but what, what I read, I, I imagine it can be quite an unforgiving place. You know, you could, I guess you need a certain amount of money just to operate what well, would you do any anywhere but yeah, I, yeah. certainly in LA I, I don't imagine it's much fun if if money's not there to make things happen and the art scene in LA is much smaller it's just it? a totally different experience absolutely yeah so um I did it for a little while I still had some uh projects that I was working on that I could do from LA and I finished those up and in the meantime, I just started kind of exploring other options, and which leads me to Scent Bar and Lucky Scent. Yeah, so and it is interesting when you you talked about um, some of your earlier study and, and architecture, and I've I've sort of long my sort of pet theory, which I'm sure isn't just mine, but it's funny the amount of people I've spoken to, even on the, the podcast, where 
there's this intersection between people that studied architecture and then got into fragrance and and obviously you were you were talking about it in terms of music and architecture but i guess it that that kind of comes back to this whole idea where of course all of the arts and all of the senses there's a sort of meeting place in the middle isn't there and and you you know you came from sculpture and and, and art and it doesn't seem surprising that this world of olfaction and perfume is appealing oh. and interesting and 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 you you know you find out about storytelling and narrative and it's all the things that we love but anyway Absolutely, it, yeah. you know what i mean it, it's like it's, of course you, if you open yourself up to music architecture visual art dance like perfume makes or, or it seems to make sense to me in that, for in sure. that way I you mean, know it's just another way of looking at it i see this happen so consistently that it's not a coincidence. There's something no. there. So much of our clientele in this store is involved in music. It's a thing. Really? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We have yeah. so many musicians, um, some very well-known musicians who are obsessed sure. with fragrance. And and I get it. I am. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's there. It's and for so sure. You're in LA and we've obviously talked about Lucky Scent, which is the sort of the, the, the website of Scent Bar. But um was it just literally sort of walking in and saying, "Have you got a job?" Or did you did you know people? Was that was that your first sort of retail job? Yeah. Then? So I mean, the through line to all of this stuff, like being a kid in Pennsylvania, uh, studying architecture, all that stuff, was my obsession with scent. That's just been current. So that was ever there since from I was a toddler. Absolutely. Early days. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and was that because of? Do you think that was someone? Was that someone in your family that that sort of? imbued that sort of love for you or was it something you discovered from elsewhere do you think i mean my parents liked fragrance and they always had fragrance but not to the same extent i was literally that freakish little kid in the supermarket smelling every shampoo in the aisle you know i was maybe five years old just smelling every shampoo getting chucked out by the security guard <laughs> <going. Who's> <laughs> and then, what's he doing when I was a little bit older, I would go to the department stores with my mom and I was just kind of free. You know, this was the early 80s. It was different. I was just free to roam around as a little kid at the department <laughs> store by myself. And I would go to the <laughs> fragrance counters and just spray everything on. And you know, All at I was once a, is yeah, cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a nerdy little kid with a bowl cut and big glasses and a corduroy <laughs> jacket, just spraying perfume all over myself. But I got... I love it so much pleasure from smelling nice things and would think mm. about it. Even as a kid, I knew the perfumes that my teachers wore. I remember my second grade teacher wore Jean Ate. Our music teacher wore Cinnabar from Estee Lauder. I don't know how I knew this, but I well, just you, knew. So you weren't asking them, you just knew? No, I mean, I must have asked them. I don't know how else I would have known. And, <laughs> had incredible but, nose. But I just thought that was normal. I thought all kids wanted to know what perfumes their teachers wore. But, you know, for me, it was a very important question to ask and something to but know. It's, it definitely it definitely seems to me that there's a sort of, again, a common thread of people who've ended up in the industry. It, it's an interest from, it's often an interest from early on, isn't it? Yeah. It's all being led by one's nose and, and being curious. And, and that's the sense that kind of, that they connected with. I it's always it. been my obsession. So in... London, uh, Liberty was my place. I would oh, go there as my source of discovery because I, I still, to this day, I think in the UK, it's maybe the best place to discover fragrance because I love the curation. I love how yeah. they nurture brands. and They do. Um, and they're often the first place to 
to go with cool new brands, aren't they? And and yeah. yes, it's a beautiful. I mean, for those that that don't know, it's this, this historic, beautiful d- department store just off Oxford Street in London. But yeah, it always seems to have a, a slightly yeah more artsy kind of cool feel, doesn't it? And yeah, uh, yeah as you say, curated brilliantly and staff that know what they're talking about but yeah. will let you discover they're doing something great and i have to say i i would go to all the department stores in my london years and there's been a change in my opinion since i left and i was back in the uk this past christmas and i went to liberty and it was just as magical and wonderful as and rewarding as it has ever been for me but the last time i went to some of the other department stores that i would go to i just found it a little bit more bland or generic the same as every other department store yeah. in the world and it, they seem to have lost their magic or their sense of creativity or or courage to discover new things so and I think sometimes it, you can end up with these, I don't know, yeah, let's not name them, but in some of these big stores, you know, it becomes about sort of giant installations and, yeah, yeah obviously the, the bigger brands. But, yeah, it doesn't, that, that sense of a tone of voice and a certain style of things is, is, it seems a bit harder, doesn't it, in the in the bigger ones on Oxford Street. and, and uh, Absolutely. I mean, it got to a point where a few years ago I came back to London and in the duty-free at LAX, I saw certain things on the mannequins and luxury stores. And then I went to some of the big department stores in London, saw the exact same things on the mannequins. And that to me was incredibly depressing. I wanted to find something that wasn't duty-free in in, uh, a really wonderful retail institution like some of these department stores. And I think we can feel like that about you know, obviously not just in in perfume, but as our certainly in the UK and our town centres in general. You know, this identikit place. You know, you could be could be Manchester, could be Bristol, could be London, could be yeah. Newcastle. You know, where where do you go to find the new, the exciting, and and the knowledge? And I suppose it's where we talk a bit more about you know niche and independent perfume retail. Yeah. There's some great examples here. So you end up at, at Scent Bar in. In LA, yeah. And, and so, I mean, when I moved to LA, I knew about Lucky Scent, and um, just for entertainment, I know this is common for a lot of people who shop uh, on Lucky Scent. I would just be sitting at my computer, scrolling through, reading about all these perfumes. It was so entertaining for me and exciting. I wondered if there was a retail brick and mortar, and yeah. sure enough, there was one, and it was in LA. So that was a huge coincidence, and I hadn't been living in LA very long at that point. So I stopped in, and at the time, the store hadn't been open very long, and it was in a different location to where it is now, and it was tiny, kind of like mm. a just a big closet yeah. <laughs> with a few shelves with perfumes. And at the time, it seems like a lot. But now when I look back at those pictures, it's kind of laughable because we have like, I don't know, just so much more. We're full to bursting in our shelves now because, well, we'll get into that later. This explosion in niche perfumery, it's just expanded so much in the past 10 years. So did they offer you a job? So yeah, I, I remember speaking to the woman who worked there, who is a friend still to this day, and We just had a fantastic conversation. Um, Interestingly enough, I think her background was also architecture. Really? Yeah, yeah. And we just had just 
a great chat. And so I started going there regularly just to talk about perfume and it just seemed to be my place. And mm. you found so, your people. Yeah. And it turns out she was leaving LA to um, study perfumery in Grasse and she actually became a nose. And so I stepped in and took that job. And then uh, pretty soon after that, the owners of Lucky Scent asked me to manage the store, which wasn't that hard to do because it was so small. It was a very tiny store. We didn't have that many customers. And I've been there now for 13 years. So there you go. So you you manage both the LA stores and have a kind of oversight of some of the content creation on Lucky Scent, which, as, as we mentioned, it seems to be a brilliant way of, of communicating what's online and, and in the physical stores. We're going to chat a little bit more about perfume and I you know I definitely want to find out more about the American retail scene but as always on the podcast I love to find out about the guests some of the products you might use whether it's in the morning and evening your kind of your routines and, and what products you like and work for you so I'd love to know from you Stephen is there a is there an extensive morning <laughs> and evening regime you know what because it's this you'd be amazed at the you've very kindly heard some of the podcasts, so you know, you know, it goes from everything from soap and water to a 10 step Korean, yeah. you know, skincare and people that need an hour before they leave the house. I mean, yeah. where are you on that? Well, continuum? I, do love, <laughs> I do love me a product, but <laughs> I like products. Yeah, but I've gone through different phases, um, especially in my 30s. I was a lot more active about discovering skincare yeah. products and tried a lot more things. Now it's pretty bare bones and pretty simple. So you found a routine that works for yeah. you. And it's mm. it's incredibly simple. I actually found that if I fuss too much that I get bad results. I, I think I have very yeah. sensitive skin. So, right. I mean, for a while I thought, I have to tone. It's really important that I tone every day and I need an astringent, da, 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 da. And I kept getting rashes and red spots and it wasn't good. I felt like I was just irritating my skin. Yeah. So uh, as it is, I tend to be kind of oily and shiny. And I always thought that was a problem. So I would just try and strip that all off and do mattifying things. But recently, I don't know whether it's laziness or I don't know. Or I, f I think that... Um, I don't have many wrinkles. So I thought maybe being embalmed in this oil all the time <laughs> helps with that. So I it's don't true, try to though, control it, it as it's, much. Yeah, it, the kind of the downside and the same for me is the kind of sometimes being kind of greasy, but actually I think it's it, it obviously means there's more oil in the, the skin and probably, you know, less <laughs> lines maybe. Yeah. We could take the positives. Then. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's very simple. I um, cleanse in the morning and the evening. And right now I'm using a product that I've just discovered recently that I love. It's from Clarins and it's called something like anti-pollution foaming cleanser. And I like it. It's almost like a paste. It's kind of thick, yeah. but it um, feels kind of sudsy. I like the way it smells. It says yeah. it has like alpine herbs or something. So Those Clarins yes, products do smell good, don't they? Yeah. And that's important too. Yeah. I mean, before that, I was just using basically supermarket facial cleanser. Mm. And sometimes that's great, but the last one was not good. I found a lot of products, whether it's um, hand soap or facial cleansers, anything in that sort of gel format. I feel some brands are trying this new 
I don't know what it is, this kind of carrier or vehicle, which to me seems kind of gloopy and sticky rather than sudsy. And I'm sure, you know, people are getting away from sodium lauryl sulfates and all of that and, and that kind of sudsiness, but I couldn't stand that texture. I just felt I was putting some sticky gloop on my face and it wasn't... And it takes cleaning. ages to get off sometimes, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? That stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and then after that, I just put on a moisturizer and I'm pretty consistent. I use um, La Roche-Posay uh, with an SPF 30. Yeah, and is, that's, they're really good, aren't they? You get those little white... Small sort of yeah. plastic tubs, yeah. Square yeah. tub things, yeah. Yeah. Really good. And I like it because it seems kind of light and just yeah. absorbs. I've used other ones with SPF that just leave this white film on your face that yeah. I'm not fond of. That's good. And and what about hair products, Stephen? Do you do you put something particular? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's been a journey. For a long time, I just had very short hair that I cut myself. I would just get the shears and I saw some pictures of you with much shorter hair on yeah for a long time for a long time and then a few years ago I decided to grow the hair out this is before the pandemic and then during the pandemic I just let it kept keep going so it was quite long at some point I think if you look on Lucky Scent some of the videos where I'm talking about perfume my hair is down to here (laughs) yeah but it's what I wanted to do I'm kind of entering another chapter as well right now where um, I'm I'm in a band. We're doing music. Yeah, we have what a few shows. I sing, actually. Oh, and um, I sing and I play bass. I'm one Songs of those bass playing. <laughs> <laughs> Do all, Actually, the, all, the, all the songs from the shows. <laughs> that would be a good twist. Yeah, yeah. I'll think about that. No, <laughs> I mean, as you would probably know from my loving Cocteau Twins. I love post-punk and goth. So right. we're a post-punk goth band. It's, it's right. kind of dark and moody, but that's love what it. we do. So I thought, if I'm going to be doing this and writing songs, I don't want this short crop. I need to grow my hair out. So I did, <laughs> and which seems ridiculous for someone in their late 40s to start thinking about, but whatever. I, I don't really think about age in that way. So I grew my hair super long. And then more recently, I just started chopping into it because uh, maybe I'm too lazy to book an appointment with a hairdresser. So but, you'll, you'll do it? Oh, yeah. I'll just chop right yeah. in willy-nilly and um, take a razor as well and just kind of like get to the right length and texture. So I do that. And I've decided to start kind of just slicking back and letting the curls at the end do their thing. And a friend of mine told me about curl cream. I feel that women know about these products so much more than men. They do. So so it was one of my colleagues and she said, oh, if you want to keep those curls at the end, get a curl cream. And I didn't even know that existed. So I looked into it, tried a whole bunch of ones. And the one that works the best for me is called Multicultural Curls. And it's from a brand (laughs) called Miss Jessie's, which I think is um, owned by um, a black woman. And it's... It's marketed to black women, or in this case, multicultural. And well, I'm multicultural, so I thought yeah. I should use this. And I love it. I love the the texture and the hold of it. It smells nice. It has a little bit of a lily of the valley scent. And my problem with a lot of hair products is I don't like overly fruity scents. And a lot of hair products go in that direction. So they it's, do, don't it's they? You get perfect. Kind of berry smells or, yeah. you know, it can get kind of very coconutty and all those things. Yeah. So it's a pretty simple, straightforward routine. At night, I use a moisturizer. And for years now, I've been using either CeraVe or Cetaphil, which are just pharmacy brands in the US. And 
they're great. They get the job done. So I'm very consistent uh, with buying those products. And then you've got a great um, sort of moustache and, and a, let's say goatee, but do you have to shave the other bits most days or how do you go about that? Yes and no. Um, I started growing out facial hair maybe about 10 years ago and I'm part Korean and we Koreans don't have big beards. So it's kind of this pattern. Although I would get weird splotchiness and that's not great. So I do have to um, wet shave, but so it would, not very it, much. It might just come in certain up. places on your cheek then you'd have to yeah, tidy yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I just take the trimmers and go at it once a week and it's, yeah. it's pretty easy and straightforward. Well, I think the whole look now with the, the slick back hair and, and the facial hair is definitely giving kind of artsy rock star energy. So I think it's worth it's working really, really well. Thank you. You know, <laughs> when I shortly after I started slicking back my hair, actually I decided to do it before our band started doing its first shows. And I thought, oh, it'll be a good look to slick back. And I've been doing it ever since. And then this film came out shortly after that. Uh maybe you've seen it, uh Tar, starring Kate Blanchett. Yes, Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Where she's the conductor. The predator conductor. Yeah. Yeah. And her role is kind of extraordinary. And just all of the attention to detail about her clothing, her bespoke suits, the way she slicked her hair, all of that, I just found so enjoyable. And obviously she's not a great role model, but in some <laughs> ways so that character yeah. was a great role model. So I, I was happy to see that she was slicking back her hair because it was longer. And I thought, ah, oh, I'm doing this too. So we're on the same page. And in one scene, her character, Lydia Tarr, is at the Carlisle Hotel in New York. And she's just getting ready for the evening and kind of brushing her hair, listening to the radio. And I had this scent moment watching that scene where I just knew, I bet the deodorant she uses is Clarins, eau dynamisante. It just seems like what she would wear. Yeah. And it's something that I used to wear in the 90s, like just as a deodorant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had this spray of it. So ever since then, I started buying Clarence Eau Dynamisante and <laughs> just to have my Lydia Tarr moment every day, and which is also one of the reasons why I got the facial cleanser because I'm just kind of riding my excitement with Clarence right now. In terms of fragrance each day, I guess that's, we're heading into very tricky territory for someone that has so much choice. And I'm obviously in, in the store and, 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 and I'm no doubt in your own personal collection. So, you know, it's it's probably a whole other podcast to get into your favorite fragrances and, and all of that. But do you, the thing that would be interesting is, so like this morning or, you know, when you're going to the going to the shop or doing your normal stuff, what's the kind of thought processes in terms of which fragrance? Is, is it kind of a, a seasonal thing? Is it literally what mood takes you? Because, you yeah. I, yeah, I wonder how you approach it. It's exactly the same as deciding what shirt to put on. Um, it depends what I'm going to be doing that day, what the weather is like, the mood in general. Invariably, I end up putting something on when I'm at the store. So I'm wearing something different pretty much every day. But in terms of my own collection, I'm it's sorry, very Stephen. Curated. Would you would you wait? Say you're getting ready in the morning and you're going to the store. Would you wait to do your fragrancing once you get there, or will you layer and double up or? Or a combination thereof. You know what? I usually put something on every morning. Yeah. Have you no what have you gone I'm for doing. this morning? Actually, I haven't put anything on yet because oh. I showered to get ready for this. So bless you. 
<laughs> what are you thinking about? What it, so take us through your thought process now. You're in a so cool black there shirt. Th- there are a few that are certainly in my rotation the most right now. And even though I have a kind of a big collection, obviously mm. I don't wear all of them regularly. There's uh, no. the ones that are in the rotation. One that is as close to being my signature scent as possible would be Bois d'Argent from Dior. I've been wearing that ever since it came out all those years ago. And I just recently bought a new bottle of it coming back from London because I'd heard that it was reformulated. I still have some of my old stuff and I actually wanted to do a side-by-side comparison. So um, I might put that on today. There is a scent that really impressed me that came out last year called Rain Tea from a small Australian brand called Chasing Scents. And oh, I don't know that. I love tea scents in general. Me and too. Me this too. one is so special and really unlike any other tea scent I've ever smelled. Most tea scents are incredibly light and fresh, great for summer, but not long-lasting in any way. And then when I tried Rain Tea, it had such a mood to it. It's a damp tea smell. So it smells like damp leaves. And then in addition to it, you get a little bit of honey and chamomile and hay. So it's just a very beautiful, somber scent that stays very nicely on skin too. So I've been wearing that a lot lately. Oh, that sounds amazing. I want to check that out because I'm a oh, big yeah. tea fan. It's beautiful. I've been wear- on, on a tea tip. Um, I interviewed um, Jan Wilhelm, uh, in the last season, who's who obviously had the Wilhelm perfumery brand and's now got the BB brand with his mm. wife. Did did you check that out when you were at Liberty's I did. Uh, Christmas? Yeah. Oh, um, I actually, said, no, yeah. I didn't. But I checked out your podcast and listened oh, to him. Oh, talk thank about, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, I haven't smelled them yet. We had a, a really, really. I met him when he was in London. We did it in person, which and he's charming and brilliant. But he's also about five feet taller than I am. He's <laughs> kind of like, you know, Scandinavian ex-model and very charming, yeah. skinny and, yeah, very tall. So he looked like... And we were talking about his love of um, British comedy and how he loved Faulty Towers and he watches Faulty Towers every morning, which I loved. But, um, yeah, Ghost of Tom from BB, which is not a million miles away from um, Dear Polly, one of the Wilhelm ones, but, again, a really a good a good tea scent, I think. Mm. We, we could talk about, you know, fragrance choices... For, for a very long time. But I'm really interested in, because I don't really know very much about it, you know, how how the sort of indie niche scene works in the States. And would I be right in thinking, you know, obviously there's, there's websites and people can ship things around, but would there be po- certain cities and pockets where shops like Scent Bar, obviously they're in New York and, and LA on either coast, but I can't imagine that there's sort of niche and indie stores in, in a lot of towns, I guess, do you have to go to some of the bigger cities? You know, because like we said about department stores, everything being kind of yeah. identical, that's certainly the, you know, that's mm. the case here in the UK too. But it, it's, you know, I guess it's actually certain... kind of shocking the absence of retail spaces for niche perfume. And in, in the States? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much. So a lot of the store, a lot of the people who come to the store are obviously, um, customers from the website and they're coming into LA and it's it's actually really wonderful to see they they make a pilgrimage to scent bar sometimes yeah, they come with I their suitcases they, they come directly from the airport and and that's really wonderful it's i i get it if if i did I it work, a case. Yeah, i'd be the Fill same me up. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 
especially with Barney's, the big department store closing a few years ago, mm-hmm. they're just left this void in terms yeah. of uh, perfume retail. So was Barney's people, better for, did Barney's yeah. do some of the more niche brands? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people discovered Serge Lutens and L'Artisan Parfumeur and Frederick Marle through Barney's. Gotcha. And this brings me back to what we were talking about, department stores and visiting some of them in London and being kind of disappointed. It's kind of a big question mark of where all of that's going because in the United States, department stores are having a really hard time and a lot of them Mm. are just dying off. And that certainly happened to Barney's. That was a major casualty. So we have people from everywhere, like big cities like Chicago saying there's nowhere to buy perfume, which is so hard for me to understand, but, but it's actually true. Yeah. So is, is, so the, the website of Lucky Scent, I guess, is a, is a real kind of boon for for American. Is it one of the main places that people would have access to to niche perfumeries? Is just Absolutely. online by Lucky Scent, and, and even outside of the states, we get um, a lot of customers from the UK, from Germany, from Australia, and it's, it's you ship everywhere. Oh yeah, well, not every country, but many mm. countries outside yeah. of the United States. Yeah, there are. I keep hearing about other stores that have been opening, like Philadelphia. Uh, Portland, specializing in niche, and certainly in San Francisco. And that's great. It's it's exciting. It's a whole world, and there's the appetite for it because there's so many more brands. And I've seen for myself how it's just expanded, mostly because of social media. Ever since uh, the lockdown and COVID, the whole audience for niche perfume has just exploded. I've seen that. So I, I see, I think there are more stores popping up to cater to this. And I mean, you know, we were talking before about storytelling and narrative, and it feels like, you know, there's only a certain kind of retail environment where you're able to communicate in that way. And it, that doesn't necessarily suit the kind of big department store where you kind of right. spray people as they go by in a kind of aggressive fashion. It, it needs time and it needs curation and it needs someone who's who's more knowledgeable, I guess. So that's where yeah. Scent Bar comes in, I suppose. The approach is very different from a department store. And I think the owners of Lucky Scent, they're two owners, they're fantastic. They always wanted that. They didn't want the department store experience and mm. neither did I. I. I don't enjoy that because with department stores, usually the people who are working there work for the brand rather than for the department store. So they're very much trying to sell that brand. So... I find it very aggressive. And sometimes I, I, I just want to be left alone to smell, but I'm, I'm getting these um, little pitches and little blurbs that they've learned in training, which I, I just think is so stupid. Like a lot of these stories don't mean anything to me uh, because I hear them. And it's and- not a conversation, is it? It's not asking you about no. things that you might be interested in. No, you're, you're absolutely absolutely right. I think it's, um yeah, and I th- it's often people don't realize, as you say, that that, the different big distributors or the sales houses will, you know, they might be looking after a certain number of brands and they might all be collated together on a certain yeah. counter or whatever, but you're not getting the full gambit of, of all the different perfumes like, because certain salespeople are kind of pitching you their brands, aren't they? So it, Definitely. It, yeah, I guess it's like a car showroom or something really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, So, I mean, I, I've always enjoyed talking about perfume. I could talk about it all day and I do. And... <laughs> Luckily, we've sort of amassed this wonderful team of people at the stores. And 
I'm in love with all of them. Uh, I would be because I, I selected them to work at the store. But what I think they all have in common is everyone there is creative. Everyone who works at Scent Bar is either a writer or photographer or musician. Everyone's creative. They None of us really come from a retail background, but yeah. we all love to talk about creativity and stories. So yeah. I think that's the, the through line of the store. So when people come in, we're not going to talk about like blah, 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 blah. This is a beast mode fragrance that contains yeah. cardamom. Or just kind of parroting, parroting the kind of sales note of, you know, this is going to set you free and you're going to feel like the <laughs> exactly. best version of, you know, manhood or whatever. Yeah. So I think it what becomes we do, a bit meaningless, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what we do is when someone comes into the store, we try and figure out what it is that they want. And even if they don't know what they want, they kind of do. So just you have a conversation with them. And it's sort of a matter of finding out who they want to be, like this person they're trying to project. And they don't need to know about perfume at all. They just need to kind of define this vision of themselves. And then Absolutely. we can hook them up. It's like yeah. this fragrance will tell a story that's like that. So try this on. And um, it's it's a lot of fun doing it that way. And I guess that's the that's the skill, isn't it, of of good retail is you know finding finding the sort of passion points for the customer, whether they might enter it via we talked about you know music. You could you could find out about music or the kind of styles or bands that people love, and that could be a way in. Or say it could yeah. be memory, travel, art, literature, you name it. I suppose it's the it's kind of discerning some of that and uh, yeah, just finding out what makes people tick and as you say it's yeah. uh, then you, you you kind of demystify some of it and it doesn't have to be as no. complicated or it's fascinating to see how perfume plays such different roles for different people uh, depending on their fantasy some people want a fragrance that um will elevate them put them into a higher status so fragrance is a status symbol and that's great you know if it works for them I can hook them up in that way yeah or that thing about gender, obviously, I don't think that smells are gendered. That is completely um, arbitrary and uh, just constructed socially. So I wear whatever I want, obviously. Mm -hmm. If it smells good on me, I like to wear it. But I do appreciate and understand when people are more rigid about that because there are certain smells that have been marketed as masculine or feminine. So when we smell them, we think of them as a masculine scent or feminine. And it's not like woods and leather for men. It has nothing to do with that. Like an aroma chemical called dihydromersinol is for men. Like that is what we've been marketed and that's what we associate. And I totally understand that. So if a guy comes in, he wants to come across as alpha male, he's not interested in anything that could possibly be perceived as feminine. I get it. That's what he wants to project. And there are scents for that, for sure. And it's not your job to kind of, you're not trying to rewire the way he thinks or anything no. like that. You're kind of leaning into his interests or the the way he or she goes about it. You know, it's, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that, really interesting. I, I, it's so interesting to me, and I'm thinking about that a lot more, about um, gendering scent. And it's so not a thing because it's arbitrary, but it so is a thing at the same time. And I have a friend who um, is a trans woman, and she was talking about these fragrances that we typically associate as men's scents, kind of like your Axe body spray, these kinds of things. And for her... <laughs> spice here. Yeah. yeah. For her, she stays away from them because they mess with her head. You know, she 
she's a woman. She identifies as a woman. And to have these smells on her doesn't make any sense and kind of uh, confuses her and sets her back. I completely understand and appreciate that. It's really interesting. I was having a conversation with a PR person from a a fairly big brand the other day, and we we were talking about this issue of gendering fragrances and the fact that this brand, it's mostly, you know, they're all unisex and they don't talk about gender in terms of how they present the fragrances. But interestingly, she was just saying, in terms of male customers, they are doing more work in terms of, you know, curating certain fragrances because of of that, as you were saying, I think there's still some people that need a bit of a sort of arm around the shoulders to suggest a, a certain area they might be looking. And, you know, we can kind of rail against it all we like. But yeah. again, uh, yeah, I, I think these these cultural shifts will will happen and but at the moment if if in the uk and you'll know brand um stores like boots you know or super drug you go into those big um chemist brands everything's gendered you know there's a there's a kind of a women's section that's all kind of purples and pinks and everything yeah. else and then there's yeah. men's that yeah it's kind of black and Here red too. And, yeah so that's not changing anytime soon is it so yeah. i guess you can ignore it and say well no everyone has to Understand that niche fragrance is all for everyone, yeah. But I think there's a you have there has to also be a kind of acknowledgement that some people want to shop a certain way and at least want to be want to have some some direction, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in what we do at Lucky Scent, obviously Lucky Scent and Scent Bar focuses on niche and independent brands. So yeah. some of these fragrances are so avant-garde that gender has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with that That's conversation. The least of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we have fragrances that smell like twigs and mud. Like, is that for a man or a woman? It's for a person who wants to smell like twigs and mud. <laughs> well, look, something else I'm always very keen to find out about on, on the podcast, as, as the the name of it suggests, I suppose, is, is the guest's idea of of sort of self-image and, and, and what they see when they look in the mirror. And I think you and I are of a similar vintage, Stephen. I'm 50 <laughs> and, um, you know, time is marching on but i think you were in, you're in really you look brilliant and you you certainly don't look <laughs> your age but i wonder you know what's your relationship with looking in the mirror and how you look now is it something something you're conscious of i mean are there lots of do you feel like you're looking in the mirror a lot in the store or not or? well not so much in the mirror i mean obviously in the bathroom i just look in the mirror to make sure my hair looks okay and i don't really look at my face so much or consider it but you know especially when i was a lot younger i would see pictures of myself and it's usually cringy in the same way that you listen to your voice and it's so cringy but i don't know whether it's because i'm older or more accepting i don't know or i I actually think maybe it's because I'm doing my own Instagram reels and TikToks just for myself where I'm getting more personal about fragrances. I'm talking about things outside of Lucky Scent perfumes. And I'm making these videos, editing them myself. So I'm looking at myself a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I feel That's that... the kind of world we're in now, isn't it? And yeah. we're kind of creating content where you kind of have to do it. Yeah. And so what happens is when you look at yourself now so often, I'm almost seeing myself in the third person. So it's like, (laughs) oh yeah, that's Steve, you know? And 
Be careful with hair... that, Stephen. You don't don't start sort of talking about yourself in the third person. Yeah. <laughs> Who's this guy, Stephen? If I see Steve in a video and his hair is a little bit weird, I'm just like, I, don't, I barely even notice it. It's like, fine, Steve is doing that with his hair today, you know? He was having that so, kind of day. Yeah, so it's a lot more <laughs> forgiving because I don't... Because, uh, you know, you judge yourself so much harsher than you would someone else. Like, yes. I, I hear people saying yeah. this all the time, like, oh, I have to lose this weight because I blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, you look exactly the same as you did five years ago. So I don't know where you see this weight. But we're, we're like that. It's interesting. I think I don't think I've had a guest on from who lives in LA. Is that ever a factor just in terms of, I mean, obviously our perceptions for us people that don't live in LA, you know, it, it obviously it's beautiful people are there and they're on flocks there for the entertainment industries and everything else. Does that ever play into your minds in terms of what you see when you go around or, or actually, you know, people who are our age who certain treatments or treatments to kind of, to hold back the, the yeah. sound of time and all that. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe you, when you're there long enough, it all st you don't worry about it anymore. Um, Do you know what I mean, though? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a city that's where there's lots of beautiful people. That's what people associate, sure, with Hollywood and L.A. It's honestly on a day-to-day -day level. I don't think it's different from New York or London or any other big city. It's a big mix of people, for sure. And we have celebrities who shop at our store. And when you see them in real life, they just look like normal people, a, a lot of them. It's not like you're struck with their beauty. And then you realize, God, lighting, camera angles, makeup, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they're very important when it comes to being in front of the camera. Of course, there is a big culture of... Um, augmenting your looks through fillers, through surgery, this and that. Um, I see it a lot, but of course, it doesn't entice me into it because I, I actually prefer a, a natural aesthetic. I like it when people yeah. just look natural. And when they age naturally, I find that beautiful. So yeah, me um, too. I'm not scared of that. I, I think it's great. So I, I'm not definitely going to go that route. One thing, probably, but maybe this is everyone, I could stand to lose a few pounds because... There were moments in my life that I was a lot trimmer and more fit. But number one, I'm 51. And I keep telling myself, like, Steve, if you just make the effort and eat better and exercise more, you'll lose that around your belly yeah. and da, da, da. But then I never get around to it. But at the same time, I don't, live that I don't live that lifestyle anymore. In my 30s, I cycled everywhere in London. And I had time in my studio work to leave and go swimming four times a yeah. week. I could fit it in. I, I, It's not a reality for me now. I don't go to the gym as much as I would like to. So I have a few extra pounds, but I can live with that until I'm in a space where I can carve out more time to do something about it. I, I, I totally, that, that resonates with me a lot. Finally, Stephen, I, I wonder what are the things that, that make you happy and bring you joy? Mm. <laughs> Apart from maybe <laughs> perfume, obviously people will have picked that up. I love really simple things. Like last night, I was sitting with my partner and we were drinking wine and listening to Cocteau Twins. And that's what made me happy when I was 16. And it's what makes me happy at 51. It's little moments. Um, like when I was a kid in my bedroom, I would put a record on. I would light incense. I had a blue light bulb, so it was very atmospheric. And I so still cool. do stuff like that. <laughs> when I get into a creative 
flow, it's a real thing. It, when you kind of get lost in a project, that's amazing because you don't notice time anymore and you feel completely driven by something else that's not you. I love it when that happens. And since I started doing my own content and I've been getting some reactions to it, I will get comments like, I feel really creative or energized to do something creative. And I gave a talk last spring as part of the LA Scent Week. And I was talking about architecture and art and this and that and storytelling. And a perfumer came up to me um, afterwards and said that she was really excited to get into her studio and start blending perfume. She felt energized by that. And that to me is the highest compliment that my enthusiasm for something creative could be infectious to someone else and have them energized to be creative. That to me is, is the biggest gift. Yeah, totally. Well, I concur that you know, your enthusiasm is definitely infectious. And actually, I, I love that idea that you've stayed connected to your passions from teenage years. There's always this idea that we should kind of <laughs> cast all that stuff off. But, but why should we? You know, it's almost when you're, you're at your purest and, and you're absorbing art, culture, whatever your thing is. And, you know, for some people, it might even be gaming or sport or, or whatever it is. But, yeah, I think it's great. You're, you know, <laughs> I still would love to, I love to sit down and, you know, put some records on and, you know, whether they're stuff from the 90s or stuff I'm listening to now. Oh, but, yeah, that, yeah that, that time for yourself and just to connect with the things that you love is really important. I think. Yeah, I, I think I'm essentially, I'm still that kid with the glasses and bowl cut smelling perfume at the counter, you know? <laughs> Inside, none of that's changed. And now I just kind of do it professionally. Well, yeah. Well, And also I will, um, some of the products that you talked about and of course your, you know, your own channels and the channels of Lucky Scent and The Scent Bar, I'll, I'll link to it in the, the program notes and, and in stuff that, um, that goes online that I do. But Oh, Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I really appreciate you doing this in, in the morning in LA. It's a bit later on here in London, but I've you know, this a long lot been of an admirer and it's so great to, to meet you in person and just be equally charmed on, on the podcast. And I know people will have taken so much from it. And um, yeah, look, thanks so much. Keep doing what you're doing. And, <laughs> Thank you um, so much. We love the content and um, yeah, hope to get to see you if I can get into the into the store in real life in LA. I'd, I'd love come, to come, we're waiting you. for you. <laughs> Bless you. Well, let, have a good day. Take care. You too. And, thank um, you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Take care. My thanks to Stephen for joining me from LA. Um, I hope you agree. Such a such a fascinating and, and thoughtful guest. And um, I urge you to check out some of his content. Um, there's obviously the Lucky Scent Instagram profile, which is at Lucky Scent, all one word, and that's S-C-E-N-T, as in the smell, so it's at Lucky Scent. But if you want to um, see more content from Stephen himself, he also has an Instagram channel at Stephen Gontarski, and that's S-T-E-V-E-N-G-O-N-T-A-R-S-K-I. That's at Stephen Gontarski. Um, he's posting videos and, and some thoughts on on fragrance and life and everything over at his channel there. Um, you can also find Lucky Scent in terms of the, the, the website to, to buy fragrance at luckyscent.com. So there's all the, the places to um, to find Stephen and, and Lucky Scent. And um, as he said, they, they ship all over the world. So um, well worth a look. And I, I was really struck. I mean, 
so many interesting things in in the conversation. But um, of course, the, you know, there's so many artistic people in LA, and I'm not surprised at all that Stephen's surrounding himself with with staff at um, Lucky Scent who have a kind of artistic background, and it kind of leans in so much to other things we think about, you know, music and art and literature and all these things so um yeah this is kind of at the crossroads of all those things and and the, the kind of i can totally imagine because i've seen some of them on the, on the videos but um you can imagine the other the other staff in the scent bar stores are, are going to be people who are very creative very artistic and absolutely so knowledgeable about fragrance so if you're in the states check them out if you can see the bricks and mortar stores or go to luckyscent.com so that's just about it from me this week. Um, I'll be back next week with another guest. Um, if you want to find me, I'm at Man in the Mirror Pod on Instagram. And one more piece of uh, begging this time, because, you know, I, I kind of hesitated to do this before, but, you know, just being really honest, there's a, a cost, as you might imagine, to put the podcast together in terms of getting my great editor Anders to um, edit it for me, and then the cost of uploading it through a cast and using the Riverside service that I do, all of which, you know, there's a sort of monthly cost and there isn't really any adverts or anything. So I have set up what's called a coffee account, which is kind of like a tipping donation thing. And um, it's not coffee as in the drink. I guess it's related to that. It's K-O-F-I, so that coffee. So if you were um, inclined to, to, to give me a tip, I guess is what it is, it's um, coffee.com forward slash man in the mirror and that's ko-fi.com ko-fi.com slash man in the mirror is where you can kind of leave a, a tip for me which would be hugely appreciated look I know you know that's not going to be for everybody but um, it would be a massive help to be honest and you know even if I can kind of get some some sort of funds towards making sure I can keep doing this and um you know, because I love doing it and I, I want to keep doing it. So, yeah, ko-fi.com forward slash man in the mirror. That's where you can tip and give a little donation to me for the podcast. And it would be hugely appreciated. As I mentioned before, uh, at man in the mirror pod also on YouTube, where this episode you'll be able to see my chat kind of live. Well, not live, but you'll be able to see the, us chatting um the, the full thing on, on Riverside. So I'm going to put that up on YouTube and expect to see a bit more sort of TikTok and stuff, you know? Got to go with it. Got to go with what's happening, even for this whole guy. So look, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope you can join me again next week on Man in the Mirror. Until then, take care. Mm-hmm.